Chapter Twenty Nine of Fenton's Quest. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kirk Ziegler. Fenton's Quest by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter Twenty Nine. Baffled, not beaten. The time came when Gilbert Fenton was fain to own to himself that there was no more to be done down in Hampshire. Professional science and his own efforts had been alike futile. If she whom he sought still lived, and he had never for a moment suffered himself to doubt this, it was more than likely she was far away from Gosper Grange that there had been some motive for her sudden flight, unaccountable as that flight might seem in the absence of any clue to the mystery. Every means of inquiry being exhausted in Hampshire, there was nothing left to Gilbert but to return to London, that marvellous city, where there always seems the most hope of finding the lost, wide as the wilderness is. "'In London I shall have clever detectives always at my service,' Gilbert thought. "'In London I may be able to solve the question of John Holbrook's identity.' So apart from the fact that his own affairs necessitated his prompt return to the great city, Gilbert had another motive for leaving the dull rural neighborhood where he had wasted so many anxious hours, so much thought and care. For the rest he knew that Ellen Carey would be faithful, always on the watch for any clue to the mystery of Marian Holbrook's fate, always ready to receive the wanderer with open arms, should any happy chance bring her back to the Grange. Assured of this, he felt less compunction in turning his back upon the spot where his lost love had vanished from the eyes of men. Before leaving, he gave Ellen a letter for Marian's husband, in the improbable event of that gentleman's reappearance at the Grange. A few simple earnest lines, entreating Mr. Holbrook to believe in the writer's faithful and brotherly affection for his wife and to meet him in london on an early occasion in order they might together concert fresh means for bringing about her restoration to her husband and home he reminded mr holbrook of his friendship for captain sedgwick and that good man's confidence in him and declared himself bound by his respect for the dead to be faithful to the living faithful in all forgiveness of any wrong done him in the past he went back to london cruelly depressed by the failure of his efforts and with a blank, dreary feeling that there was little more for him to do except to wait the working of Providence, with the faint hope that one of those happy accidents which sometimes bring about a desired result when all human endeavor seems to have been in vain, might throw a sudden light on Marian Holbrook's fate. During the whole of that homeward journey he brooded on those dark suspicions of Mr. Holbrook which Ellen Carey had let fall in their early interviews. He had checked the girl on these occasions, and had prevented the full utterance of her thoughts, generously indignant that any suspicion of foul play should attach to Marian's husband, and utterly incredulous of such a deep guilt as that at which the girl's hints pointed. But now that he was leaving Hampshire, he felt vexed with himself for not having urged her to speak freely, not having considered her suspicions, however preposterous those suspicions might have appeared to him. Marian's disappearance had taken a darker color in his mind since that time, granted that she had left the Grange of her own accord, having some special reason for leaving secretly, at whose bidding would she have so acted except her husband's, she who stood so utterly alone, without a friend in the world? But what possible motive could Mr. Holbrook have had for such an underhand course, for making a conspiracy and a mystery out of so simple a fact as the removal of his wife from a place whence he was free to remove her at any moment. 
fair and honest motive for such a course there could be none was it possible looking at the business from a darker point of view to imagine any guilty reason for carrying out such a plot if this man had wanted to bring about a lifelong severance between himself and his wife to put her away somewhere to keep her hidden from the eyes of the world in plainer words to get rid of her might not his pretense of losing her this affectation of distress at her loss be a safe way of accomplishing his purpose who else was interested in doing her wrong who else could have had sufficient power over her to beguile her away from her home pondering on these questions throughout all that weary journey across the wintry landscape of bare brown fields and leafless trees gilbert fenton travelled londonwards to the city which was so little of a home for him but in which his life had seemed pleasant enough in its own commonplace fashion until that fatal summer evening when he first saw marian knowles radiant face in the quiet church at lidford he scarcely stopped to eat or drink at the end of his journey regaling himself only with a bottle of soda-water imperceptibly favored with cognac by the hands of a ministering angel at the refreshment counter at the waterloo station and then hurrying on at once in a hansom to that dingy street in soho where mr medler sat in his parlor like the proverbial spider waiting for the advent of some too confiding fly the lawyer was at home and seemed in no way surprised to see mr fenton i have come to see you about a bad business mr medler gilbert began seating himself opposite the shabby-looking office-table with its covering of dusty faded baize upon which there seemed to be always precisely the same array of papers in little bundles tied with red tape but first let me ask you a question have you heard from mrs holbrook not a line and have you taken no further steps no other means of communicating with her gilbert asked not yet i think of sending my clerk down to hampshire or of going down myself perhaps in a day or two if my business engagements will permit me do you not consider the case rather an urgent one mr medler i should have supposed that your curiosity would have been aroused by the absence of any reply to your letters that you would have looked at the business in a more serious light than you appear to have done that you would have taken alarm in short why should i do so the lawyer demanded carelessly it is mrs holbrook's business to look after her affairs the property is safe enough she can administer to the will as soon as she pleases i certainly wonder that the husband has not been a little sharper and more active in the business you have heard nothing from him then i presume nothing gilbert remembered what ellen carley had told him about marian's keeping the secret of her newly acquired fortune from her husband until she could be able to tell it to him with her own lips waiting for that happy moment with innocent girlish delight in the thought that he was to owe prosperity to her it seemed evident therefore that mr holbrook could know nothing of his wife's inheritance nor of mr medler's existence supposing the lawyer's letter to have reached the grange before marian's disappearance and to have been destroyed or carried away by her he inquired the date of this letter whereupon mr medler referred to a letter-book in which there was a facsimile of the document it had been posted three days before marian left the grange gilbert now proceeded to inform mr medler of his client's mysterious disappearance and all of the useless effort that had been made to solve the mystery the lawyer listened with an appearance of profound interest and astonishment but made no remark till the story was quite finished you are right mr fenton he said at last it is a bad business very bad business 
may i ask you what is the common opinion among the people in that part of the world in the immediate neighborhood of the event as to this poor lady's fate an opinion with which i cannot bring myself to agree an opinion which i pray god may prove as unfounded as i believe it to be it is generally thought that mrs holbrook has fallen a victim to some common crime that she was robbed and then thrown into the river the river has been dragged i suppose it has but the people there seem to consider that no conclusive test had mrs holbrook anything valuable about her at the time of her disappearance her watch and chain and a few other trinkets hmm there are scoundrels about the country who will commit the darkest crime for the smallest inducement i confess the business has a rather black look mr fenton and that i am inclined to concur with the country people an easy way of settling the question for those not vitally interested in the lady's fate gilbert answered bitterly the lady is my client sir and i am bound to feel a warm interest in her affairs the lawyer said with the lofty tone of a man whose finer feelings have been outraged the lady was once my promised wife mr medler returned gilbert and now stands to me in the place of a beloved and only sister for me the mystery of her fate is an all-absorbing question an enigma to the solution for which i mean to devote the rest of my life if need be a wasted life mr fenton and in the meantime that river down yonder may hide the only secret oh god cried gilbert passionately how eager every one is to make the end of this business even the men whom i paid and bribed to help me grew tired of their work and abandoned all hope after the feeblest and most miserable attempts to earn the reward what can be done in such a case mr fenton demanded the lawyer shrugging his shoulders with a depreciating air what can the police do more than you or i they have only a little more experience that's all they have no recondite means of solving these social mysteries you have advertised of course yes in many channels with a certain amount of caution but in such a manner as to ensure mrs holbrook's identification if she had fallen into the hands of any one willing to communicate with me and to ensure her own attention were she free to act for herself hm it seems to me that everything has been done that can be done not yet the men whom i employed in hampshire they were recommended to me by the scotland yard authorities certainly may not have been up to the mark in any case i shall try someone else do you know anything of the detective force mr medler assumed an air of consideration and then said no he did not know the name of a single detective his business did not bring him in contact with that class of people he said this with a tone of a man whose practice was one of the loftiest and choicest kind conveyancing perhaps and the management of estates for the landed gentry marriage settlements involving the disposition of large fortunes and so on whereas mr medler's business lying chiefly among the criminal population his path in life might have been supposed not to be very remote from the footsteps of eminent police officers i can get the information elsewhere gilbert said carelessly believe me i do not mean to let this matter drop my dear sir if i might venture upon a word of friendly advice not in a professional spirit but as between man and man i should warn you against wasting your time and fortune upon a useless pursuit if mrs holbrook has vanished from the world of her own free will a thing that often happens eccentric as it may be she will reappear in good time of her own free will if she has been the victim of a crime that crime will no doubt come to light in due course without any efforts of yours 
"'That is the common kind of advice, Mr. Medler,' answered Gilbert. "'Prudent counsel, no doubt. "'If a man could be content to take it, and well meant. "'But you see, I have loved this lady, love her still, "'and shall continue to love her till the end of my life. "'It is not possible for me to rest in ignorance of her fate.' "'Although she jilted you in favor of Mr. Holbrook?' suggested the lawyer with something of a sneer. "'That wrong has been forgiven. Fate did not permit me to meet her husband. But I can be her friend and brother. She has need of someone to stand in that position, poor girl, for her lot is very lonely. And now I want you to explain the conditions of her grandfather's will.' It is her father who would profit, I think, gathered from our last conversation, in the event of Marian's death. In the event of her dying childless, yes, the father would take all. Then he is really the only person who could profit by her death? Well, yes, replied the lawyer, with some slight hesitation. Under her grandfather's will, yes, her father would take all. Of course, in the event of her father having died previously, the husband would come in as her heir at law. You see, it was not easy to exclude the husband altogether. And do you believe that Mr. Noel is still living claim to his inheritance? I believe so. The fancy the old man had some tidings of his son before the will was executed, that he in short heard of his having been met with not long ago over in America. No doubt he will speedily put in an appearance now, said Gilbert bitterly, now that there is a fortune to be gained by the assertion of his identity. "'Hm,' muttered the lawyer. "'It would not be very easy for him to put his hand on sixpence of Jacob Knowles' money, in the absence of any proof of Mrs. Holbrook's death. There would be no end of appeals in the court of chancery, and after all manner of formulas he might obtain a decree that would lock up the property for twenty-four years. I doubt if the executor chose to stick to technicals, and the business got into chancery whether Percival Knowles would live long enough to profit by his father's will.' "'I am glad of that,' said Gilbert. "'I know the man to be a scoundrel, and I am very glad that he is unlikely to be a gainer in any misfortune that has befallen his daughter. Had it been otherwise, I should have been inclined to think that he had had some hand in this disappearance.' The lawyer looked at Mr. Fenton with a sharp, inquisitive glance. "'You would imply that Percival Knoll may have made away with his daughter.' You must have a very bad opinion of human nature, Mr. Fenton, to conceive anything so horrible. My suspicions do not go quite so far as that, said Gilbert. God forbid that it should be so. I have a firm belief that Marion Holbrook lives, but it is possible to get a person out of the way without the last worst crime of which mankind is capable. It would seem more natural to suspect the husband than the father, I should imagine, Mr. Medler answered after a thoughtful pause. I cannot see that. The husband had nothing to gain by his wife's disappearance, and everything to lose. He might have supposed the father to be dead, and that he would step into the fortune. He might not know enough of the law properly to be aware of the difficulties attending a succession of that kind. There is a most extraordinary ignorance of the law of the land prevailing among well-educated Englishmen. Or he may have been tired of his wife and have seen his way to a more advantageous alliance. Men are not always satisfied with one wife these days, and a man who married in such a strange underhanded manner would be likely to have some hidden motive for secrecy. The suggestion was not without force for Gilbert Fenton. His face grew darker, and he was some time before he replied to Mr. Medler's remarks. 
that suspicion of late had been perpetually floating dimly in his brain that vague distrust of his chosen friend john saltram flashed upon him in this moment with a new distinctness if this man whom he had so loved and trusted had betrayed him had so utterly falsified his friend's estimate of his character was it not easy enough to believe him capable of still deeper baseness capable of growing weary of his stolen wife and casting her off by some foul secret means in order to marry a richer woman the marriage between john holbrook and marian nowell had taken place several months before michael branston's death at a time when perhaps adela branston's admirer had begun to despair of her release and then fate had gone against him and mrs branston's fortune lay at his feet when it was too late thus and thus only could gilbert fenton account in any easy manner for john saltram's avoidance of the anglo-indian's widow a little more than a year ago it had seemed as if the whole plan of his life was built upon a marriage with this woman and now that she was free and obviously willing to make him the master of her fortune he recoiled from the position unreasonably and unaccountably blind or indifferent to its advantages there shall be an end of these shapeless unspoken doubts gilbert said to himself i will see john saltram to-day and there shall be an explanation between us i will be his dupe and fool no longer i will get at the truth somehow gilbert fenton said very little more to the lawyer who seemed by no means sorry to get rid of him but at the door of the office he paused you did not tell me the names of the executors to jacob Knowles' will he said you didn't ask me the question answered mr medler curtly there is only one executor myself indeed mr Knoll must have had a very high opinion of you to leave you so much power i don't know about power jacob Knoll knew me and he didn't know many people i don't say that he put any special confidence in me for it was his habit to trust no one his boast that he had trusted no one but he was obliged to name someone for his executor and he named me shall you consider it your duty to seek out or advertise for percival Knoll? asked gilbert i shall be in no hurry to do that in the absence of any proof of his daughter's death my first duty would be to look for her god grant you may be more fortunate than i have been here's my card mr medler you will be so good as to let me have a line immediately at that address if you obtain any tidings of miss holbrook i will do so End of chapter twenty nine recording by kirk ziggler ogden utah voiceovers by kirk dot com